0: Morning everyone. Um, how encouraging it's been to be together already this morning. Uh, let's, let's pray as we get into God's word together. Oh Father we thank you so much that you speak to us in your word and we do ask this morning uh, please be very gracious to us by your spirit open our eyes so that we might see your son clearly in your word and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Um, Have you ever mucked around with the uh, contrast of your TV, you know, um, pumped it way up, pushed it way down? Um, Usually when um, my son and I get a new PS4 game, we enjoy playing video games together, when we get a new game, uh, there's an opportunity right at the beginning uh, to uh, adjust the contrast. An image pops up on the screen and they tell you to do a couple of things on the controller to dial it in just right. So the darks are really dark and the lights are really light and the contrast uh, just really um, pops. Because if you turn it down too dark, everything goes dark and the dark bits of the game or the dark bits of watching TV, you can't see what's going on. Or if you pump it right up really high, everything just sort of gets washed out and the light is totally gone and even the dark bits are washed out as well. So instead you want to calibrate it just right so that everything pops. The light bits are really light and the dark bits are dark and there's this nice contrast. And with that contrast, you get a crisp, clear, vivid image. Now, I reckon when it comes to spiritual reality the temptation of the world and the temptation of Christians is to mess with the contrast. When it comes to spirituality, there are some very deep, dark things and some very light, bright, beautiful things. But the temptation is to mess with the contrast, particularly because we don't like the dark things. So instead of allowing the word of God to tell us how dark the dark things are, we mess with the contrast and try to pump it up and wash out those dark things by making it more light. Don't you think that's our temptation in our society, in our climate, to look at the darker realities of the Bible and not quite like them? not quite feel comfortable with them, to worry about what your friends think if you think those things. And so adjust the contrast so it doesn't look quite so dark anymore, particularly what the Bible says about human beings. But you do that, you not only don't see the dark things dark enough, you wash out the light and you can't see how light the light things are. What Jesus does for us is he enables us to see reality clearly, rightly. He adjusts the contrast just right so you see dark as dark and light as light. And in our passage this morning, we get to see reality how Jesus sees reality. And Jesus draws some extremely sharp contrasts between himself and humanity. Brilliant light deep darkness. I don't think the contrast could be more extreme than the contrast that you get in this passage. Sharp, vivid contrast. Look at verse 12 with me. Jesus' declaration in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus deliberately sets up a sharp contrast between himself and humanity, light and darkness. Jesus is the light that shines into the dark world. If you follow him, you leave the darkness and walk in the light, but otherwise you remain in the darkness of the world, dark and light. It's meant to be an extreme contrast. The world is dark, Jesus is light. Now, that's not the only contrast as you move through the passage between Jesus and humanity. Contrast right throughout the passage, linking together, building upon each other, melding together like like chunks of clay, another chunk of clay, another contrast, another contrast, another contrast. They stick together and give weight and force as they meld together, sharp contrasts. So what I want to do together is this. Let's run through our passage, verse 12 down to verse 13. 30, fairly briefly, fairly quickly, a passage that records a dispute between Jesus and the Jews. But as you run through the passage, I wanted you to do a bit of mental work. I want you to, to look and see what contrast can I see as we move through this dispute. And then once we've stopped, we'll uh, highlight these contrasts together. But, but let's run through the passage briefly and think if you can see any contrast as we move through. Now, the context is, remember last week, Jesus stood up at the feast, the last and greatest day of the feast of tabernacles, and declared that he is the water, and if anyone wants to is thirsty, come to him and drink, and streams of living water will flow from within them. What happens in verse 12 is on that same last and greatest day of the feast. If you look in your Bibles, there is a chunk there from verse 753 to 811. In my Bible I've got two, like a line on either side and it's all in italics and at the start of it it says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7, 53 to 8, 11. Everyone had that like that in their Bible? The reason it's like that is because that's not part of God's word. That comes into manuscripts about the 5th century. And so the earliest, and most reliable manuscripts don't actually have that as part of the Bible. Now, it has the ring of good history. It's probably something that actually happened. Jesus actually did. However, it's not something that John, the apostle, wrote. It's not something that God inspired, and so it's not actually God's word. A good word, but not God's word. History, but not God's word to us. And so our passage from verse 12 links directly back to that last and greatest day of the feast where Jesus is speaking in the temple. On that day, Jesus stands up and verse 12 declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, immediately that causes an issue. The Pharisees recognize the extreme nature of the claim and so verse 13, they say, you can't do that. You can't appear as your own witness and testify about yourself like that. This claim is so outrageous, you need other witnesses to demonstrate the validity of this claim. In a Jewish court of law, a matter had to be settled on the basis of two separate witnesses testifying, and they couldn't be the person on trial, they couldn't be one of the witnesses. The Pharisees are disputing Jesus' declaration about himself on the basis that he's appearing as his own witness. And so they say, your testimony is not valid, Jesus. Now notice how he answers verse 14. Jesus basically says, yes, I can. Yes, I can. I can testify on my own behalf and it is valid. Why? Verse 14. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I can testify about myself because I am not just one of you. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I have come from above, from the heavenly realms, from my heavenly Father. I have divine authority as I come into this world and speak from him. And so Jesus can testify about himself because he's not just like us. He is like us, human, but he's not only human. He's God the Son. Jesus says he can testify about himself, but then he goes on to say, and actually there are two witnesses. Anyway, there's me and there's my father, the one who sent me and who I stand with. We're one in our testimony. I speak from my father. There are two witnesses, my father who testifies through me and me, two witnesses. Verse 19, the Pharisees respond by asking, where is your father? And Jesus says, If you knew me, you'd know my Father as well. Now, again, an audacious declaration. We are so one, God the Father and me, that if you know me, you know my Father as well. Consistently, Jesus claims his equality with God. The Pharisees want to arrest him, but verse 20, no one seized him because his time, his hour had not yet come. This is not yet God's ordained hour for Jesus to die, and so no one can arrest him. Now you see in that first section there's a dispute about Jesus' authority and about his authority to testify about himself. And Jesus here claims clear authority that he he can. Then for verse 21, the question of whether Jesus has authority and where it comes from continues to be a central concern, but the heat gets turned up. And Jesus speaks very much as the judge. See verse 21? He says... I'm going away, and you'll look for me, and you'll die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. Now, another huge declaration. I'm going back to my father through death, but back to my father to heaven, and because of your unbelief, you cannot follow me. You cannot come with me. You will die in your sins. They're confused again. They ask where he's going um, because they wonder whether he's going to kill himself. He responds by clarifying, you're from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. He's from heaven. He's from his Father. He's the light coming to the dark world, whereas they are from below from this world and they will die in their sins if they do not believe in him. Verse 25, who are you? Just what I've been saying right throughout my ministry, says Jesus. And again he affirms that the Father has sent him and as he judges he speaks from the Father. And again, verse 27, they don't understand. And so verse 28, Jesus says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, that is, when you've killed me, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just as my Father has taught me. I come from my Father, my Father is with me and I always do what pleases him. The passage ends verse 30, many believed in him. Now that's a very quick, brief run through the dispute and we'll come back to some of the details later. This dispute centres around who is Jesus? And what authority does he have to say these things? But I don't know if you noticed, as it unfolded, there's deep and profound contrasts that are unearthed. Now, what contrast did you notice? Don't yell it out, but just in your head, what contrast did you notice as you went through? Now, the obvious and first one is, verse 12, light and dark. (laughs) Jesus, the light of the world, the world is in darkness without him. Light and dark, a sharp and vivid contrast. The next one that jumped out for me was above and below. Did you notice as we went through verse 14? I know where I came from, where I'm going. Where's he come from? Where's he going? Verse 23. You are from below. I am from above. Sharp divide, contrast between humans and humanity. Humans are from below. I am from above. The heavenly realms from my father. My origins are divine. A similar contrast, different words, verse 23. You are of this world. I am not of this world. We'll come back to what Jesus means by world. But again, Jesus is not of this dark world, but is the light shining into it. But humanity is of this dark world, belongs to this world, is part of this world. Another contrast, judgments. Right judgments contrasted with wrong judgments. Correct assessments contrasted with incorrect assessments. Have a look at verse 15. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. And when I think Jesus means by I pass judgment on no one here is I judge no one in the way that you judge. By human standards. Now we'll come back to what that means. But humans who are from below judge humanly and incorrectly assess things, they judge wrongly in a human worldly manner. Whereas in contrast verse 16, Jesus' judgments, Jesus' decisions, Jesus' assessments are true because he stands with his father. Verse 26, Jesus' judgment is trustworthy because he speaks what he's heard from his father. Jesus' assessments and judgments are right whereas humans' judgments are judged by human standards and so they misjudge. A sharp contrast between how humans and Jesus assesses. Another contrast, truth lies. There's a lot about here about Jesus, the one who tells the truth. He testifies truly, he speaks the truth about himself, his judgments are true, he speaks from his Father. Next week's passage, we'll see that humanity follows in the footsteps of their Father, the ultimate liar, and so are characterized by lies. The truth of Jesus, the lies of humanity. Do you see the sharp, stark contrast that Jesus paints? The contrast of Jesus and humanity. Light, dark, above, below. Not of this world, of this world. Right judgments, wrong judgments. Truth, lies, and the possible contrasting responses we can have to him. Verse 12, follow him. Not follow him. Verse 24, believe in him. Don't believe in him. Resulting in life, death, extreme, vivid, sharp contrast. The dispute between Jesus and the Jews unearths these contrasts that exist between Jesus and humanity and between how humans respond to Jesus and what that means for their ultimate fate. Now let's step a little bit closer, delve a little bit deeper and pull some of these threads together. Tune reality so that we see it very clearly. How dark is the world? How light is the light? So firstly, the deep darkness of the world. Come back to verse 12. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. The world, by which he partly means I'm bringing salvation not just to the Jewish nation, but to the entirety of the world, to the nations as I, as I had promised. But there's more. Embedded in the word world, The word world throughout John's gospel often has a negative flavor to it. A darkness to it. Not every time, but often. Do some Bible flipping with me. Come back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 10. The word, he was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Though the world was created through him, God the Son, who had become the incarnate Jesus, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And so, straight away, you start to think the world is talking about more than just the creation, because it's a world that would not recognize him. The following verses go on to talk about the Jewish nation who would not receive him. When it's talking about the world here, it's talking about the people of the world. The people of the world who would not recognize him. And there's a dark flavor to it. Would not recognize him. The world in John's gospel often has the meaning of the people of the world in rebellion against God. In opposition to God. Look at verse 29. Chapter 1, verse 29. The next day Jesus saw, John saw Jesus... Talk, look. Let me start again. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, "Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The world is a world of sin, which is why we need the Lamb of God to come into it as a sacrifice in order to take away the sin of the world, because the world, the world is a world steeped in sin, rebellion, evil. We need a sacrifice for it, the world. Flip over one page with me, John, 3:16, perhaps the most known verse in the whole Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, that the world is a world that needs saving. A world that is perishing apart from believing in God's one and only Son. A world that stands condemned already without the saving work of Jesus. When I first became a Christian, um, I was end of year 11, I wrote this verse, John 3.16, all the words, not just the verse numbers, all the words on my pencil case. It was back in, I don't know what pencil cases look like these days. It was back in the days where you had a plastic pencil case and you could write on it. So I write these words in big bold letters on my pencil case because I thought they were amazing. I thought this is the most incredible thing I could possibly imagine. I want to be reminded every day that God so loved the world that He gave His Son to die. And if we just believe, we're saved and we have eternal life. I wanted other people to see it and to ask questions and to. But I think I thought when it said God so loved the world, I thought it meant God so loved everyone in the world, which is amazing—the vastness of the world. But what it actually means is God so loved. The people of the world who were shaking their fist at him. The people of the world who wanted nothing to do with him. The people of the world who stood in rejection and opposition and had turned their backs on him. It's not the bigness of the world that's in view here that God does love the world. But the badness of the world. The evil of the world. Are you getting a picture of what it means to be of the world? A couple more passages. Just jump down to verse 19 of chapter 3. Very next verse. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people of the world love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. See that the world is a dark world. An evil world filled with evil deeds. And so when the light, that is Jesus, came into the dark world shining on people, people didn't want the light. They scurried away from the light because they didn't want the light to expose their deeds that they were continuing uh, to do in darkness. They didn't want to change. Uh, Most of us have a a few different species that live in our houses at night time. And one of those species is... Cockroaches, of course not in my house, but you know, in other people's houses. Well, this is cockroaches. You, you, you come out to get a snack at night, you flick on the light, and they flee. They hate the light. They don't want to be exposed to what they're doing. It's dangerous to them. The light goes on, and human beings scatter. We love the darkness and the deeds that we can do unseen. We don't want God to expose who we are. Are you getting a picture of what it means to be of the world? A dark, rebellious, evil place. Don't need to flip there, but John 7, 7. Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify that its deeds are evil. Jesus says the world is evil. And it hates him. The world, the world, the world. Humanity in rebellion against God. Enslaved by sin, which we'll see more of next week. And it's into this dark world that Jesus shines as the light. To save. To set free. To give life. I, I do notice around the place in recent global events, the Russian-Ukraine war, that, that there is, at the beginning, shock, surprise. How could how could this thing happen in this sort of day and age? We're more evolved than this. These sort of things shouldn't happen nowadays. The threat of global war, that was a 20th century problem. We are the more enlightened 21st century. These things... Sh- should not be. Now, I think as it's unfolded, this is flipped, and now it's, there's the darkness over there, there's bad people over there, but we are the light over here. And our society doesn't want to acknowledge the darkness of all humanity, the darkness of the world. And so, until Jesus comes, the world will be filled with war and evil and slavery and oppression and corruption and all manner of horrendous things. And we're all part of it in some measure. Not just some people out there. The picture of the dark world is very, very dark indeed. Not a little gloomy or dusky, but pitch. So dark that the people of the world are blind. They can't see clearly. Come back with me, chapter 8, verse 15. You judge by human standards, says Jesus. If you're of this world, then your whole way of seeing things, of assessing things, of understanding things is off. Is quite literally fleshly, this worldly, humanly. You judge by human standards, and so if you're part of this sinful, rebellious world, you judge wrongly. You, you, you're blind. You're walking about in the in the dark, like you know those nights when you stay up too late past your bedtime. The family all goes to sleep, but you just need a bit more time on your own. You keep reading your book. And you keep reading your book, and then it's very, very, very late. And then you think, I need a snack. And so you, you, you're wandering around the house in the dark and every floorboard, Because you don't want to let anyone know you've stayed up so late and you're eating all these snacks. And where's the handle? Where's the handle? And you get to the fridge and you... And the light, oh, the fridge, the cupboard. And then you've got your snack and you... I'm just going to go back and read another half hour. And you turn around and you... And you, and you, you bump into the stool. The stool falls over. Crash! Crash is like a gong. Going off in the house. You, you hurt your knee and you like, and you stand there hoping no one has noticed. What that's humanity. We're walking about in the dark in the blindness trying to make decisions and understand life and yet we continue to judge by human standards by people as people who can't see. And so we judge by Appearance and externals and rank and prestige and coolness. We judge people by the clothes they wear and the cars they drive and the places they live and the houses they live in and the jobs they have and how their social media account, how enviable it is and how many lifestyle toys they own and what holidays they go on and the people of the world assess, this, assess things by this world and not the world to come. The people of this world assess things by what humans think are valuable, not by what God thinks are valuable. And so we're spiritually blind. And isn't that what's happening when Jesus turns up on the scene? They cannot assess spiritual reality. Jesus, God the Son, in the flesh, walks among them, performing signs that point to him as the Messiah, as the Lord, and they continue to look at him and they cannot see and judge by externals. He says to the Samaritan, I am the living water that gives eternal life. And she says, great, now I don't have to keep coming back to this well. I won't be thirsty anymore. Jesus says to the people, I am the bread of life after doing an incredible miracle. And they say, great, give us some of that bread. I'm a little bit peckish. The spiritual realities that the signs were pointing to, they totally miss. And all they can think about is their bellies. Because they're judging by this world, by human standards, by the things that humans think are important. John 8 the crowd here, the Pharisees, cannot get what Jesus is talking about. He's the one from God with divine authority, the light come into the dark world. Where is your father, they say, thinking a human, because they refuse to believe that his father could be more than human. Where are you going thinking he'll kill himself? Because they can only think on the human plane. They won't believe that he's doing more than that, returning to his father. Who are you, they asked, thinking you can't claim these things because they're thinking a this world plane and their rebellious hearts want to keep God at a distance. The Old Testament prophesied it. We heard it read, Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And so he is despised and rejected by mankind. God in the flesh walks among human beings, not an incredible beauty, not in mighty power, not with a great army, not in incredible majesty, not with universal popularity, but an ordinary-looking bloke with an ordinary-looking followers. He, had, he looked nothing like any king they had ever heard of. He had no real possessions or property. The important people at best looked down on him. The important people at worst wanted to kill him. And so if you're from below, if you're of this world... You look at Jesus and you don't actually see. This is God the Son walking amongst us in the flesh, and what He says is what God said, despite His miracles. You judge by human standards because you're from below and in the darkness, and you can't see when you're in the darkness. Even when the light is shining, you full in the face. Yeah, verse thirty, the section ends with what looks like a triumph, doesn't it? Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. They believed. They could see, they got it, they believed. it, Did they? Did they believe in him? Read the rest of chapter 8. It becomes very, very clear that their belief was not a real belief. They turn on Jesus as demon-possessed and a blasphemer. The world is dark and dying. Verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Jesus is going to his father, he says, you, you can't come, you'll, you'll keep looking for me, by which I think he means, you'll keep looking for a Messiah because you won't have me as your Messiah. And so because you've rejected me, you will not have access to my father, you will die in your sin. Verse 23, you are from below, I'm from above, you are of this world, I'm not of this world. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Because they are below, because they are part of this dark, rebellious world that is against God, they will die in their sins if they do not believe in Jesus. The light has come, shining the saving truth of God into the world. But if we love the darkness and will not step into the light, we stay in the darkness, cut off from access to God and will die in our sins. Verse 21, it says they will die in their sin, singular, the root sin, unbelief. I will not trust you, God. I will not trust you. If we will not trust God, we will die with the world verse 24 it says you will die in your sins because from that root sin of unbelief grows the lantana bush the gnarled bush of a multitude of sins lying lust greed selfishness anger harshness impatience gossip slander filthy language filthy thoughts evil desires to be of this world is to be trapped in sin and to heading towards judgment eternal death hell and if you just look at our world silly you see it everywhere Not just in the gross sins of murder and rape and abuse and war and violence and oppression and deviancy, but also in the respectable rebellion of the middle class. Manners and etiquette and respectability, but under the surface lies hidden greeds, slavery, addiction to pleasures, looking out for number one. Lives that quietly silence God and keep him out of the picture. And every human being will die in their sin unless they receive the saviour, unless they receive the one from above, from not of this world who has come into this world to save. When I was a young kid, I was about seven or eight, um, we used to go fishing a fair bit. And where we put our boat in, um, there was this place where they'd been dredging out the, um, the waterway. And, and the mud that came out of the water was this thick, black, goopy mud. So while my dad was doing the hard work of getting the boat in and out of the water, I'd run off and play in this mud. And uh, there was basically the size... I think it was about the size of a football field, just, just of this mud. There's no fences around it back in those days, no occupational health and safety stuff, just this, this mud. And, and the sun had beat on it and it had dry like the outback, sort of, you know, cracked and, and dry... But you, you could get big rocks and chuck them and they'd fly in and, and, and then suck down into the mud like quicksand. One day, I thought, I'm going to try to walk on the mud. And so I, I, I was stepping across the hard surface of the mud and then it cracked. And I, and I dropped in up to my knees. And I thought, oh, this is this is sort of fun. And then I realised I, I could not get my feet out. And I was sinking up to my thighs, up to my waist. I struggled, but the struggle only pulled me down... Faster, it was like quicksand, and I got mud all over myself, and I yelled out, "Michelle, my sister, Michelle, go and get Dad!" And so she ran off to get Dad. And, and I'm thinking, "I'm going to die here. I'm going to drown in this stuff. And then over the hill comes my dad with the oar from the boat, and he reaches out and he's able to pull me out, and he takes me home and he hoses me off. But that, that's the world. That's the people of the world. We, we, we're stuck in the darkness of sin, and we're going down towards death. And, and we might think, oh, I'm going to struggle, I'm going to get myself out. But all we do is we, we, we smear the mud all over us and we, we cause us to continue to going down. Well, we need someone from the outside. We need our Father to send his Son. We need one from above who is not of this world to come and draw us out. We need the light of the world. When it comes to hearing about the darkness of humanity, we can be tempted to mentally turn up the contrast, lighten it all up, because we don't want to think about humanity as very dark. To wash out the darkness of the world. But you do that, you don't see the dark rightly, and you won't see the light rightly. The light. Into the darkness comes the brilliant light of Jesus God in the flesh amongst us, the light saving us from the darkness of our rebellion. The dark is dark, but the bright light is brilliantly bright. From above, from his father, speaking his father's words, not a sinner like us. He comes to save. He is the great I am. I am the light of the world. Verse 12, uh, verse 24, I told you that you die in, my, in your sins if you do not believe that I am. There's no he there, that I am. Verse 28, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you'll know that... I am, again, no he there, I am, I am, I am, takes the name of God from the Old Testament as a declaration of his divinity, which is why he is the light of the world, God, the revelation of God to us. In the Old Testament, God was the light. He rescued them out of Egypt and led them through the Red Sea as a pillar of light, cloud by day, fire by night. When he met the people at the top of Mount Sinai, he was the presence of glory the light. When he led them through the wilderness, it was as the glory cloud, the light. They couldn't see the form of God. It was hidden, but it indicated his presence, God the light. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord God was light. And then chapter 8, last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles. A, lighting, a lamp lighting ceremony takes place in the temple. Four large bowls filled with oil are set on fire. Everyone had flaming torches. The men danced, the musicians, the Levites played. It was a joyful celebration that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, to the era of salvation when the, the light of salvation would finally burst forth. At this point, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world, I'm the Messiah. I'm bringing the age of salvation. I am God, come shining the light into the darkness. And when is it that this light shines most brightly? Verse 28. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what my Father has taught me. Jesus says, it's when he has been lifted up that people will know I am, that he is God and everything he says is from God. When is he lifted up? Lifted up has two meanings. When is he lifted up? He is lifted up in death, on a cross, lifted up to die. But lifted up has a second meaning. The word can literally mean exalted. When is Jesus lifted up? When is he exalted? The same moment as he dies on the cross. Jesus' death and his exaltation are one. This is his moment of greatest glory shining forth because this is the moment we see God most clearly in all his glory, God's overwhelming love and goodness to us as he sacrifices himself. You'd think the cross was the moment of deepest darkness. And in one sense it is. It's the culmination of the world's rejection of God. But even more, it's the moment of of the most blindingly brilliant light of God that could ever be. Because this is the moment that we see God's loving goodness most clearly. And when Jesus says, my death on the cross is when you will know that I am God and speak from God, I don't think he means after I die, everyone's going to believe. I think what he means is anyone who comes to believe in me ultimately, it's because they understand and trust my death. And if you don't see in my death that I'm God, you'll never see it. It's like a spotlight, a Batman-type spotlight, full in the face, so close that you can feel the heat of it. Either by God's grace and the work of his spirit, your eyes are opened and you see the blindingly beautiful brilliance of the cross. Or you screw your eyes so tight shut that you'll never see the light of God if you can't see it in the cross. It's in the cross that the light of Jesus shines most brightly. So, Jesus says, come into the light and remain there. Look at the wonderful promise again, and we'll finish here, verse 12. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever, whoever follows Jesus will never walk in darkness. That's how come out of the darkness of the rebellious world and walk in relationship with Jesus. No longer a rebel, no longer blind, no longer dying, but walking in the light day by day, by being transformed by the light to be more like Jesus. And verse 12, they will have the light of life. That is, the light that gives life. If you follow Jesus, you will have the light, Jesus himself, the light who gives eternal life to whoever follows him. The other thing that um, hangs about in people's homes at night is, is uh, not just cockroaches, but moths. And they love the light. They love the light. The light. The light. You, know, the, 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 you can't stop them coming to the light. Be a moth. Be a moth. Come to the light. Remain in the light. If there's anything... When my kids leave the house, I almost always instinctively pray, oh, Lord, please keep them safe. But the second thing I pray instinctively, I think possibly because I've trained myself straight afterwards, is, and Lord, please keep them spiritually safe. Because there's worse things than not being safe physically. It's that something might happen that might move them towards turning from Christ, stepping outside the light. Nothing worse. And how do you do this? By following Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Like the old light in the Old Testament, the light of the glory cloud of God, when you're an Israelite, when it moved, you moved. When it lifted off the tabernacle and moved through the wilderness, you packed up your tents and you followed the light wherever it went. And when the light stopped, you stopped and set up your camp again. Wherever it went, you went. They followed God, the light of their salvation, wherever he led them. And Jesus said, it's me. I am the light of your salvation. Follow me. Wherever I go, follow me. Whatever I ask of you, follow me. However I want you to live, follow me. That is what a Christian is, someone who follows Jesus. I go where you go, Jesus. I don't follow others. I don't follow myself. My life is yours to be shaped by you, to be shaped by your word. And so day by day, I hear who you are, your priorities, and I seek to live my life in response to that. I meet too many people who say, I'm a Christian. And they want Jesus as their Saviour, but they will not have Him as their Lord. They want His forgiveness, but they don't want Him to have control over their life for how they live. They want the light, but they don't want to follow the light. But that person isn't a Christian. If you don't follow the light, then you do not have the light, but are still in the darkness of the world. Which doesn't make you go, man, I've got to check myself. I've got to keep checking myself. Am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? Again, a very sharp contrast. Follow Jesus. Receive the light. Refuse to follow Jesus. Die in the darkness. Again, the temptation is, ah, oh, reduce the, contrast, you know, pump up the contrast so it's not so bad. Turn, turn it more positive, not so negative. Turn down the need to follow Jesus. Turn down the cost of not following Jesus. Danger. The picture of the darkness of the world is very dark. The light of Jesus is dazzlingly bright. Don't mess with the contrast. And see spiritual reality as it actually is and the sharp contrast between following Jesus and failing to follow Jesus and follow him all your days. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do ask um, by your spirit, open our eyes that we might see reality as it truly is, clearer and clearer each day, please, Lord, to see the deep darkness of the world, and the dazzlingly brilliant light of Jesus, particularly in his death for us. And please, Lord, I pray this morning, draw people out of darkness and into the wonderful light of Jesus. Please open uh, their eyes so they might see his glory and their hearts so they might follow him. But please, for all of us, enable us to keep following Jesus day by day, to be like the moth who loves the light and remains in the light, to follow our Lord and to live as he wants us to live every day, uh, to enjoy knowing him, And to look forward to eternal life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.